And uh, today, we are continuing on with our series talking about Israel, and today we are digging into complacency. We're digging into complacency today. Now, maybe, uh, maybe you are guilty like me. You have had moments in your life where you have been complacent. Ask yourself, have I been complacent? You can ask yourself, ask yourself that out loud. Ask yourself the question, say, self, have I been complacent? You know, nobody likes asking themselves these hard questions. Now you can turn to your neighbor, which is probably your spouse, and say, I know you've been complacent. I know you've been complacent. Complacency isn't good. It can lead us down a pretty dangerous road. And some of you this morning might be wondering, well, what is complacency? What does it mean to be complacent? We're going to get to that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But first, I've got a story for you. Now, I haven't been in a storytelling mood for a while, but I'm in a storytelling mood today. And I love telling stories. Now, don't put the picture up yet on the screen. Just wait until I tell you to put up the picture. No, don't do it yet. Okay, good. All right, I saw the lights change, and I was like, no. No, not yet, not yet. Oh, the lights are coming. Okay, good. So here's the deal. We went for a road trip, 6,000-kilometer road trip. It was wonderful. Who likes road trips? Yeah? Excellent. Who likes, who likes just driving in general? Do you enjoy driving? It's good. Driving's fun. so much fun. I love driving. It is my preferred method of going and exploring places. Why? Because you can roll down the windows. Hard to do in a plane. Very challenging. Hard to do in a plane. You can roll on the windows. You can smell the environment. You can touch and taste things. If you need to stop, you can stop and go for a pee. It's fantastic. If you see a taco stand on the side of the road, you can stop and grab some tacos. Also, all very difficult things to do whilst on a plane. So, we love going on road trips. We like exploring. We like going and seeing places we haven't been before. And if there is an opportunity to take a side trip or go down a scenic route, I will take that route. I know it might take a little bit longer. I know it might add a little bit more kilometers. I know it means that we're going to have to have bums in the seats for a little bit longer. But if there's an opportunity to see something that I haven't seen before, I want to go and see it with my own two eyes. Because I, unless I've seen it with my own two eyes, I've got a really hard time believing if it's even real. Anybody like that? Any skeptics in the audience today? That's right. If you're online, you're probably skeptical, much like myself. You're tuning in. I encourage you, go on an exploration. Get out of your rooms, get out of your houses, go and explore, come to church. It's not gonna kill you. It's a good time. So I like to go on road trips. So we were on this road trip with the family, 6,000 kilometer round trip. We went from here down to Kalamath, Klamath, Klamath, Oregon, which was, it's weird. It's a weird kind of community. Then from there, we went to San Francisco, went to Alcatraz, and then from Alcatraz, we went over to the desert, and we were in desert hot springs, Palm Springs area. And then from there, we kind of snuck our way up. We, are, we were over at Anaheim. And then from Anaheim, we, we were leaving, and we're like, we kind of finished early because the weather was bad. Anybody hear about the bad weather in, in California? It was terrible, terrible. In one day, they got a month worth of rain. It was the day we were there. It was fantastic. It was a special time. <laughs> special time. I came home. I was like, oh, it's like summer here compared to California. So we leave, and then we go to, uh, on the week, we figure we'll get a head start on things on the ride home. So we sneak our way up. We go to Las Vegas. By the way, Las Vegas, not a kid-friendly environment. Don't go. Don't go to Las Vegas. There's no point. If you like going to Vegas, eh, we, can, we can pray for you after. Maybe the Lord will allow you into heaven. We can talk about it, okay? So, <laughs> so. After that, we get up early in the morning, and I'm looking at the map, okay? 
I'm checking out the map, and there's a couple places that are on my list of places that I really want to see. Places that I got to go, I got to check out, I have to see it with my own two eyes. This is going to sound kind of strange, but way back in the day when I was a teenager, I watched this movie called SLC Punk, Salt Lake City Punk. Some of you might know the movie, probably not a family movie, but it kind of gets you all angsty and it's fun, back when when you're a teenager. So I saw that, and it's all about like, you know, Mormonism and the Mormon temple, and I'm like, oh, it'd be so weird to see the Mormon temple. We're kind of going that direction. I'd like to feast my eyes upon this very interesting structure that was built by man, probably to worship Satan. So anyway, (laughs) I'm gonna get some emails about that, that'll be good. Not that Vegas wasn't, right? Not that Vegas wasn't, right? So anyway, we're hitting all these weird spots. So we're looking at the map and like, I'd like to go and take a peek at this thing, but there's also something else that's along the way that I would really love to see. Now, imagine on a map that you're way down in Vegas in Nevada and you're looking to go vertical. You need to go north and somehow you have to pick a path. And we could have gone through Salt Lake City, but instead there was a nice scenic route that we could have taken and we took it and it took us down the extraterrestrial highway. Listen, listen, listen. If you know me, you know I'm just so cranked about this. It took us down the extraterrestrial highway, which by the way is an actual highway in the States. It's a loop that you can take, totally worth taking if you haven't gone. That is family friendly, unless you want to get abducted and probed, different story. But what I'm telling you is there was opportunity to either go to the Mormon temple which is a little bit strange where, you know, it's all about a guy who found some tablets in his backyard and it was Angel Mormon came and appeared to him. It's kind of like aliens. We took another alien route and we went and we dug into this place called Rachel, Nevada. Anybody here named Rachel? It's right. It's built after you. Rachel, Nevada. And we're looking at it on this map. We pinpointed on this map. We're like, we have got, actually, Marie and the kids didn't care. They're like, whatever, Dad. We're just going to sleep in the car the whole way. You do whatever you want to do. I'm like, okay. Disney was for the kids. Area 51's for this guy. I am so excited. So, anybody grew up watching X-Files? That's right. See, I know. It's like you got, some of you guys are like, yes. What did he see? I'll tell you what I saw. <sighs> Okay, Maria, you thought it was nothing. It was everything. It was everything. (laughs) Okay, so we're cruising down the highway, okay? And and you got to understand the topography is beautiful. It's breathtaking. You're climbing in elevation, like 6,000 feet in elevation, and you're going through these hills and mountains and and crevices, and, and you're rolling down these hills, and then you come to these flat areas, which are these giant, flat, ancient lakes, these lake beds. And, and side note, Area 51, it's actually called Groom Lake. Pretty interesting, because it was this old lake bed. It's nice, big, and flat, and that's where they can hide all the aliens under the ground. It's so cool. Anyway, so... We, we find Rachel, Nevada on the map, we pinpoint it, we're like, we're gonna go. So we start cruising on the highway, and we come to the fork in the road, and on this, like, there's an actual legitimate government sign. You know the green signs that say, like, you know, Salmo this way? Nobody's going there, obviously. And uh, it's, uh, you know, and what, <laughs> sorry if you're from Salmo. And, uh, and, and so it says, okay, so it, like, on this big green sign, it says extraterrestrial highway. It legitimately says, somebody paid in the government, paid for this sign to be made. And we're like, we're going left. And so we start going left, and we start cruising around, and we're climbing up again, and we're coming back down into this valley. And in this valley, it's this like 30 mile long straight stretch of pencil straight highway, and we're cruising down into this area, and I'm like, I am going to see something amazing. 
I am ready. I am ready. My expectation is high. I am on high alert. My eyeballs are opened up. Kids are sleeping in the back seat. Maria's drooling out of the side of her mouth because that's what she does on road trips. It's true. So I love you. And uh, it's very cute. Very cute. I've got pictures. I'll send them later. And so we're cruising down and we're coming down into this valley and there's this long pencil straight strip of highway, two lanes. No one else is around. Not a soul. I'm like, where are they? They've all been abducted. Every one of them. They come here and they never leave. And at, at this point, I'm thinking, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't, I don't really completely know exactly what I'm going to experience taking my family. Am I wise for doing this? Probably not. But there's no turning back. There's this black mailbox, which if you're into the conspiracy stuff, let me tell you, this black mailbox has stories to tell. And we drive by this mailbox and we're cruising down and there's nothing else around except off in the distance, there's this tiny little building and like five Airstream trailers. And you know, it's like... And we're cruising down and all you could hear is the rumble of the highway and the skies are crystal clear. And as we head into the valley and we enter into this flat plain on the bottom of this ancient lake, I know that off in the distance, just over yonder is area 51. It's there, I can sense it. The hairs on the back of my neck are starting to stand up. It's true, it's true, I'm not lying. And as we come down into this valley and we're flying down the road, I can see off in the distance, something crests this mountain ridge. And not just one something, four somethings. And I slap my kids in the back seat. Put down your iPads, kids. You're going to see aliens. Open up your eyes. And the kids are, are startled awake. And Maria wipes the drool off her face. And, and the, the sunroof is open on the car. And, and put up the picture. Put up the picture. This, this thing here, not just one of them. Four of them shoot over the ridge of this mountain and it barrels, they barrel down onto this pencil stretch, straight stretch of highway and they come lower and lower and they're 50 feet over the roof of my car as they come in line straight up with us on the highway and like an idiot, I'm looking out the windscreen like this, hi, hi, and I thought, oh my goodness, take me, this is amazing. And so they fly down and they buzz the car. Vroom, 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 vroom. The car's shaking, I'm shaking, the kids are screaming. We can't hear anything, we're covering our ears. Nobody knows what's going on. And then suddenly it was just silence. It was just us and the road. And we didn't know if we were taken somewhere. We didn't know if we were in a simulation anymore. We didn't know what was going on. But we knew that in the distance, we could still see this little building with the five Airstream trailers. And so for the sake of securing our sanity, we drove to this little spot called the Ailey Inn. Ailey Inn. It's called, yeah, it's called the Ailey Inn. And this is a big metropolis of Rachel, Nevada. There's a building and five Airstream trailers. And we rolled in and like, wow, that was incredible. That was incredible. Kids hate me. Maria's like, you are an idiot. But I am in, I'm in my glory. I'm in my glory because I'm like, if I could see these F-22 Raptors buzz my car, what else could we possibly see? 
So we go into this place, this little, it's like a kind of a pub restaurant thing. There's like six guys in there. It's like a men in black scene. One of the guys is like putting his tentacles back in his arm there and buttoning up his shirt. And we're like, okay, what's going on here? So we go in and the kids are, you know, cautiously looking for a washroom to use. And I'm looking at all the pictures on the wall. There's pictures of different fighter pilots and uh, the Black Hawk pilot and the, you know, the big aircraft that they test out in these areas, which are pretty fantastic. Uh, the stealth bomber, all these neat things. And all the pilots have signed photos and, and the, the cast of, um, uh, uh, what's it called, Independence Day, they, they had all signed a, a placard that was outside of this because they filmed there. Like, this is like the mecca of all the alien stuff. This is pretty cool. So what's actually out here? So, everybody goes to the washroom, they get back to the car because they're already like, Dad, we need to go. This is, we've indulged you enough. So then I, I go, I bought an Area 51 handbook, of course, obviously. It's so good, so good. And, uh, and then I go up to the counter with my handbook and I, I plop it on the counter and, uh, and, and the gal comes up and I said, so, I, j- I got a question for you. Is Area 51 nearby? And she, she does this, she you know, washing the cup and she puts it down. She does one of these. <laughs> it's not too far from here. I said, well, well, where is, where is it? And I'm asking like, in a very like hush, like, where is it? And I don't want anybody to know that I'm inquiring because I don't know what they're going to do to me. And so I said, where is it? She goes, well, I'll tell you what. Now, she's kind of had this draw. Now, if you go on, head back, mile and a half back where you came from, and you take a ride up that dirt road, you head up six miles here. I was like, six miles, okay. I'm like writing it down, six miles. Now, when you get up there, you head up six miles and you head on in, and out of nowhere, you're gonna see some gates pop up. Now, if you see those gates, it's time to just stop. You get any closer, they are authorized to use deadly force. It's like, deadly force? Like, they'll kill you. I was like, oh my goodness. Kids, let's go. So get back in the car, and Maria, in her wisdom, she's like, yeah, we're heading home, right? I'm like, almost, we're getting there. So we hop in the car, and instead of going the direction we're supposed to go, obviously we go back a mile and a half to where we came from and head six miles up a dirt road, obviously. So we start cruising in, and we hit this dirt road, and all the things start going through my head, okay? Now, our car, no spare tire. It just has like one of those pumps in the back that you fill it with slime and you hope that it lasts until you get somewhere safe. We are in the middle of nowhere with no spare tire and now I'm cruising up this dirt road. And as I'm cruising up this dirt road, I'm looking around I'm like, this is awesome. This is great. Kids, keep your eyes open. Pay attention. What's going on? And we're just driving down this dirt road and all of a sudden it starts setting in like, nobody knows where we are. <laughs> Suddenly like a mirage, everything has disappeared all around us. Can't see Trailer City anymore, it's gone. We can't see any fences or gates anywhere. The topography has seemed to change a little bit. It's, it's like these weird sort of flat, but almost rolling hills where you can't quite see what's over the next bend. And you're like, where am I actually? Like, if I got turned around here, it wouldn't be a good situation. And the cell service isn't phenomenal. It's sort of spotty. And we're getting closer and closer. I'm looking at the odometer and like we're getting into that six mile mark and we must be close. And just, we crest over just a little bit and suddenly there's these gates. And as the moment I see these gates, the electronics in the car die, phones don't work anymore, nothing, all the GPS is kicked out, everything is dead, and I can see this big, huge, wide antenna just slowly spinning, and I'm like, they're jamming our radar signals. They, they're trying to protect the secrets in Area 51. And 
And I'm looking at this, this guard shack, and this is like, kind of like out of a space movie, this guard shack, and there's these gates. And on the front of this gate, it says, do not enter, photography prohibited, authorized to use deadly force. And suddenly, I had a face-to-face -face reality with the fact that something here is way bigger than me, and I haven't treated it with the respect it deserves. There's something here that is bigger than me, and I have thrown caution to the wind for my own endeavors and excitement and not realized the gravity of the situation that if I pushed my luck anymore, not only could I cause myself trouble, I could cause trouble for my whole family. Now, of course, we're safe. We're still here. We made it back. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We abruptly turn around and head the other direction. Everything turns back on. The maps work on the car. Cell phones are working again. And we got out of Dodge and started heading back to the wonderful Great White North that is Canada. And we made it here safely. But in this adventure, where curiosity had gotten the best... Now, don't get me wrong. If there's an opportunity to go back, I'm going back. Okay, I'm just going to tell you that right now. I've already planned a trip with Eddie. We're going to go hike the Sierra Nevadas. We're going to peer down into the base. It's going to be great. Might never see me again. It'll be wonderful. But I came face to face with the reality that as I'm putting the pieces together and as these jets are buzzing our car and as we're seeing these gates and we're recognizing the reality of where we are in, the situation that we are in, very suddenly, very immediately, I was hit with the reality that, wow, there's something bigger than me that I need to have some respect for. There's something bigger than me that I need to have some respect for. I hadn't really considered it before. I thought I was just on a merry adventure. And if I continued to push my luck, I could have gotten myself into a tremendous amount of trouble. I could have gotten my family into a tremendous amount of trouble. You see, I had this weird idea in my head that, oh, everything's great, everything's fine, I've got nothing to worry about, not a care under the sun. And in that self-assuredness, I had become complacent in thinking that I'm immune from the consequences that are potentially directly in front of me. Now, we might wonder today, what on earth does this have to do with Israel? What does it have to do with the Israelites, and how does this pertain to us in our family situations, in our life situations, and in our faith situations? What does this have to do with us? Well, you see, sometimes we can choose actively to ignore the care and the concern that God has for our lives and our situations. We can actively and willfully choose to push all these things aside and do our own thing. That's one way to be complacent. The other way to be complacent is we can be so wildly deluded with self-assurance that we don't realize the dangers that are immediately before us. When we talk about complacency, I got to look at what is the definition, what defines complacency. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary says this, it's self-satisfaction, especially when accompanied by unawareness of actual dangers or deficiencies. Complacency, self-satisfaction, an instance of usually unaware or uninformed self-satisfaction. And so I had to dig a bit deeper. What are some of the synonyms that we see for complacency. 
egotism, pridefulness, self-congratulation, self-glory, self-love, self-satisfaction, self-admiration, self-esteem, self-importance, a swelled head, vainness, conceit, smugness, vanity. These are synonyms for complacency. And then we have to dig in deeper. Well, how were the Israelites complacent? And what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with us? The history of Israel, as the nation of Israel stemmed forth out of Jacob, Pastor Ben and I were talking about this. We see a cyclical history of utter and complete humble dependence upon God, delusion that arises out of safety, feeling that we have produced our own safety and our own sufficiency. And then in that, it is a stepping away from reliance upon God towards a reliance upon self. So moving away from a reliance upon the infinite power of God and then moving towards a reliance on the finite power of self And then in that delusion of relying upon a finite power of self, a self who will pass away, a self who lies, a self who cheats, a self who doesn't see the fullness of what's going on, a reliance upon self, and in a desire to preserve self, self becomes deluded to believe its own lies. And in the believing of the lies of self, We walk away from a humble dependency of God, recognizing that he is great and we are not. And we come face to face, as Israel did, with challenges that are greater than itself, where self no longer has the answer to a problem that's greater than it. And in that great mistake, in that Incredible complacency, ruin is met. If I continued down a road of complacency or self-delusion thinking, I got this, I can storm Area 51. I got this, I'm going to go uncover some aliens. I got this, forget all the sights of warnings that I've seen with these F-22 Raptors buzzing my car. I'm going to be a hero and vlog my entire event so I can have a moment in history. If I continue down that road where I very rapidly had the opportunity to walk in self-delusion, if I continued down that road, what would have happened? I would have met ruin. And we see this unfold in the nation of Israel over and over and over again. And it's almost a picture to how we see ourselves today and some of the situations we find ourselves in over and over again, where we become so self-assured in what we can accomplish and what we can do and what we bring to the table that we don't see any end in sight that doesn't involve our victory. And in that we meet ruin because we are blinded to the reality that there are greater things at work than just ourselves. Let's look at the example of Israel in captivity in Egypt. 
For hundreds of years, they were captive. An opportunity arose for them to escape by the power of God working in a man who was flawed and failed. And in that flawed and failed man, there was a humble recognition that God is great and the people were not and the people needed God and depended upon God. And in that dependence upon God, walking in step with what God had asked them to do, impossible things happened to help finite people escape turmoil and death. And they did. They escaped Egypt. Go read the story. It's fascinating. And in their escape from Egypt, as God parted the seas, as God made ways, as God quashed their enemies, as God provided miraculously, as God ministered to them, they escaped their captors and experienced freedom. And in their freedom, they stopped praising God and worshiping God and became complacent, realizing that we are great. We don't need God. Look what we have done for ourselves. And in this admission of what we have done, the Israelites said, they focused on what they could do. And what could they do? They could create idols to worship. They could worship man. They could worship their circumstances. They could worship the work of their hands of what they had done and what they had accomplished. And as they walked forward, attempting to find the promise of God in the promised land, which was to bring them freedom from their captors and a place to live and a place to call home, in their complacency, they became reliant upon self, forgetting their creator, forgetting the one who is the author and the perfecter of all things. And in their self-delusion, which is born out of self-love, out of ego, out of pride, out of self-congratulation, out of self-glory, they missed the opportunity to walk into a promised place that God had already secured for them because they couldn't see a way to do it in their own strength. They lost the ability to rely upon the strength of God because they forgot to put God first, realizing that He is powerful and mighty, not them. And of course, when they came to Canaan and they peered in and saw that there were giants in the land, saw that there were insurmountable challenges, they forgot that they worshipped and followed the infinite mighty God and they were trembling in their boots because their circumstances, their abilities would not make a difference with the enemy that was before them. They forgot that they could trust in the power of God. And the consequence of that... A generation wandered in the wilderness and died. A generation wandered in the desert. For 40 years, they were displaced people. Why? Because they forgot that they could rely on the incredible power of God. They forgot who was great and who wasn't. Complacency became a core tenant that brought the Israelites to failure and to ruin in time, or time and time again. This morning, ask yourself that question again, as challenging as it can be. Ask yourself the question, have I become complacent? It's easy to look at other people who have become complacent. It's so simple to point those things out. But to be personal and ask the question, how have I become complacent? 
How have I chosen to rely upon my own strengths and my own abilities rather than trusting in God? And when we look at our own strengths and our own abilities, of course situations seem impossible. Of course finding joy in the midst of the world we live in becomes harder and harder. Of course hope becomes fleeting. And of course delusion becomes rampant. But when we anchor our hope and our dependence to someone who is greater than us, we can comfortably sit in and rely in and trust in his work and his will and his way rather than what we can bring to the table. Because what we bring to the table lacks in all situations. But what God has for us is never lacking. We as finite beings become consumed by finite things in a world that will surely pass away, but our hope, which must rely upon the eternal, has to come to us as we realize that our eternal souls, loved by an infinite God whose promises are forever, those things cannot be destroyed. Where are your treasures stored? What does your hope rely upon? What is your future anchored and secured to? Because if it's anchored and secured to what we can bring to the table, what I can do, what I can accomplish, what I can complete, you will forever be lacking. You will forever be wandering in the wilderness. But if there is a humble position taken where there is a choosing to say, not my will, Lord, but your will be done, that recognition that he is great and we are not, that understanding that there are boundaries he has placed in our lives because he loves us, there is structure and order that he has built into us because of his immense care. If we walk in that, we realize, wow, wow. When I trust in the Lord, there's nothing that can't be accomplished. There's nothing that can't be done. The Israelites, they became drunk upon their own success. The success came from the victory of their God, not their victory. But they took God's victory and God's accomplishments, and instead of praising the Lord and giving back to the Lord the very things that God had graciously given them, they took it for themselves. We are great and mighty, not God. We are faithful. We are good. We are righteous. Look what we have accomplished. Look what we have built for ourselves. Look at the many things that we have done. And their language begins to change from a language of adoration and praise to the infinite mighty God, and it turns to an adoration and praise of self, which is finite, which will pass away. They began to store up treasures on earth, which rust and moth destroy, rather than placing their value and their worth in the one who created them, who is never going to pass away. It wasn't God that abandoned the Israelites or failed them, but rather it was the Israelites who chose to walk away from God and become puffed up on self rather than humbly dependent upon him. Now, this might seem like it's easy to blame a people group. It's easy to blame a story from thousands of years ago. But we have to ask ourselves the question, how does this apply to us today? 
Folks, we've gone through a challenging couple of years. I was talking to somebody the other day. Okay, oh yeah, you know, we were going through this uh, maybe like a year ago, we were doing some things, and they looked at me and said, it wasn't a year ago, that was three years ago. Three years ago. It's like two years has been erased from our memories. Our timelines are all messed up because of all the crazy things that have gone on in the world. It's become challenging. We've gone through a lot of stuff. And in this, we become dependent on so many things, but have we lost our reliance upon God? You see, I believe in a God that provides for us, that cares for us, that ministers to us and nurtures us. I believe a God that is the God of the impossible. I believe in a God that is able to heal the sick, mend the brokenhearted, raise the dead, allow the blind to see, give hearing to the deaf. I believe in a God who is powerful, that is beyond what we can naturally understand given our own devices. But the world that we live in wants us to trust in everything that isn't God. And I want to encourage you this morning that if you want to walk forward in hope and joy and vitality, like that song we sang this morning, hello joy, hello hope, hello freedom, goodbye fear. If you want to walk forward in vitality and life and promise, it can't come from self-assuredness that is born out of complacency. It must come from a humble dependency upon your creator. It has to. Otherwise, there is no difference between the church and the world. There is no difference between the church and the world. And it's uncomfortable to wrestle with this because it means that in our relationship with God, a right relationship with God, that there are structures and boundaries. We don't like it, but I'll tell you this, this is amazing. A fish in a lake has infinite freedom as it wanders in the boundaries that are set before it. The moment it attempts to go onto shore, it will surely die. I want to encourage you this morning that there is infinite and incredible freedom in the wonderful and healthy boundaries that God has built for you. Yes, we might look to the shore and wonder, what could it be like over there? Just as I peered past the gates at Area 51, what could it look like beyond these gates? But I promise you, the moment I step beyond that zone, the use of deadly force is authorized. I could step into an area that would surely cause death. The Israelites walked in that over and over and over again, and they did. They met death of generations, death of leaders, death of kings, death of people. They stepped out of the boundaries that God had healthily put in place for them because they wanted to try more than the perfect that God had for them. Church, have we become complacent? My encouragement to you is this. Worship team, I'll call you up. My encouragement to you is this. As we step into this year, as we choose to look forward in hope, as we choose to hold on to joy that is transcendent, which comes from beyond us, as we choose life, and as we choose joy, looking forward to the kingdom of God, my encouragement to you, church, is this. Don't become complacent in your faith and in your relationship with the Lord. 
Maybe God has been working on some stuff in your life. Maybe there have been some hiccups and some upsets. Maybe you've been in that fish who has had freedom in that lake and you've jumped onto shore and it is increasingly uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable because death is going to happen if you remain outside of the healthy space that God has made for you. Israel was always brought back into a place of having to trust in God. Sadly, it often took disaster. Not disaster that was placed upon them, but disaster that they walked into of their own volition. Do we want to be that type of people that has to have those types of reminders, those rude awakenings, those horrendous losses? Or do we want to live in the joy and the peace that comes from our creator, humbly accepting our positions and realizing his way is great, our way is not? Is it possible to step into this new year and have hope for something different? I think it is. I think it is. But the first step in that direction is asking the question, how have I become complacent. How have I become complacent in my relationship with God? And that's a question that you can ask yourself. It's not a question that you need to ask somebody else. It's not a, a, an argument you have to hash out with people in your family or, or get into a bunch of a thing on Facebook. You don't need to do any of that. You can sit and you can close your eyes and you can say, God, have I become complacent? And some of you here right now don't even need to ask the question. You know full well, completely and fully, that you have stepped far outside of the bounds of what God has intended for you. It's not my job to pass judgment on you. My job is to encourage you that there is a better way. My job is to encourage you that you can look up to the Lord and ask him, and trust that his Holy Spirit will begin ministering to those broken areas. Are there things that need to be fixed? Probably. Is there work that needs to be done? Yeah, likely. Do conversations need to be had? Does repentance need to go on? Do apologies need to be made? Of course. The only thing that gets hurt in that, the only thing that gets hurt in that is pride. The only thing that gets hurt in that is pride. I'll tell you what. There's a lot of things that I would like my heart full of. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit that I want my heart full of. I would go far, so far to say is, that's the fruit that the church needs to be full of. The thing that's not in there is pride. And when we walk down a road of, of humbly recognizing our position before God, we dispel that pride. We displace it. 
from our hearts. When we say, Holy Spirit, identify for me, please. What are the things that I've allowed in that aren't from God? He's faithful to show you. And he's faithful to wash you and cleanse you and purge you from your iniquities. He's faithful to highlight and identify areas in your life where you've been sinning and running amok. He's faithful to rein you in. In fact, God is so faithful that where you have been that fish and you've jumped up and on the shore thinking that there has to be something better than this thing that I'm in, God is even faithful enough to bring you back into the healthy space that he has for you. He loves you enough to teach you. He loves you enough to nurture you. He loves you enough to minister to you. He loves you enough to speak to you. Believe it or not, he loves you enough to correct you. And the only thing that gets hurt is pride. This morning, I think, I think it's important to learn from those who have gone before us. The Israelites went before us and they had a lot of hard lessons which spanned hundreds and hundreds of years. I don't want to take so long to learn lessons. Our life here is short, terribly. And the opportunity we have to make an impact is fleeting. I think there's more of an opportunity to affect a real change in our, in our homes, in our marriages, in our families, and in our communities. There's more of an opportunity to have an effect when we humbly accept our position, praise the Lord and thank Him, and get rid of the pride that's taken over our hearts. I want my heart to be full of the right things. And I think you probably do too. So why don't you stand this morning? It says in the word, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. It's from Psalm 51. Cast me not away from your presence, O God. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Church, there's opportunity to actually have life and life in abundance that comes from the creator of life, our Father in heaven. David's prayer is a beautiful prayer as he's met with the reality of his own faults and failures and what has brought him to his situation. And he simply says, Lord, search me. I've made a mess, but you're the one that can fix it. We're gonna close with worship this morning. And where you are, in your own space,
Give God permission, maybe for the first time. Maybe you've been too scared to, maybe it's hurt too much to consider the idea that you might have to face the reality of, of what you're in or, or what you've done. But God's not scared of it. He's bigger than it. He, he already knows and he's not embarrassed by you or ashamed. He loves you and he's simply waiting for you to say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. So right where you are right now, simply say this, Lord, search my heart. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Forgive me for where I've strayed, O oh God. Forgive me for thinking I know better. Teach me your will. Teach me your ways. Please don't cast me away, but renew righteousness in my heart. Thank you, Lord, that you are great and I am not. Teach me to walk humbly and securely in who you've made me to be. Help me to trust you. Teach me what it is to know you. Forgive me for where I've strayed from you. I thank you that you love me enough to give me life through Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for your work upon the cross and the gift of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here with us. I thank you that you're healing us. Heavenly Father, I ask right now that you Plant seeds in the hearts of every person here, every person online, every person that's joining in from all over the world. Plant seeds of life into their hearts, Lord. Seeds that bear good fruit. Lord, we don't want to wander in the wilderness. We don't want to walk far from you. We don't want to be consumed by our will and our ways. It's not working. It's not fixing anything. We need you, Lord. We need you in our homes. We need you in our marriages. We need you in our friendships. We need you in our community. We need you in our schools and in our workplaces. Lord, we need you at work in our minds and in our bodies. 
Lord, begin to do a work in our lives today. When we say less of us, more of you. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your incredible patience. Thank you for your joy. In your holy name we pray. Amen.